Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Today, I'll be interviewing Mike Acker. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you'll receive alerts when new episodes are available on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You know, I believe every everything started somewhere. Every person started somewhere. We had our infancy stage. Um, when you were growing up, uh, what was that experience like and where did you grow up? So I actually grew up in Paulsville until I was 10, but then I moved to Mexico when I was 10 years old, turning 11. So really the big, huge, the, the big, huge change that happened in my life, that one of those pivotal moments like you're talking about there is that move to Mexico. My dad coming home and saying, we're moving and leaving behind everything. So now I wasn't going to have my basketball class. I wasn't going to have my, my soccer lessons with the same people. I wasn't going to have the baseball. I'm going to have something totally new, which is what got me into surfing and everything else. And, and I see these, I call these the inciting incidents. A lot of times when somebody comes to work with me on their communication coaching or their leadership, I'll ask them, what was the inciting incident? What was the thing? Just like you asked me, what was the thing that up, that drew you to this moment right now? And it's very interesting to see it all across the board. Wow. So you, uh, at 10, you moved to Mexico. Now, did either of your, were either of your parents uh, of, you know, Mexican or Hispanic? No, no. no it, I mean, I am, I'm a very fair skinned person. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was at the time, uh, quite blonde, like white blonde hair, and I have blue eyes, and I was tall, langly, so I definitely did not fit in to where we moved, and it took me probably three and a half years to not really feel like a total other, and then by the time I got to high school, I just felt like I belonged, and that mostly I was I was more Mexican than I was American at that point in time. Wow, did and you learn, or yet did you learn how to speak uh, Spanish as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me a while. And partly why it took me a while is that I, I kept on holding on to the bat, past. Mm-hmm. I think there's a propensity for us to do that. We we tend to look back at the good times in our life and make them even bigger. That's what I did. I made it even bigger. Yeah, it was great. Yes, I had a good life. But mm-hmm. it wasn't as huge and everything wasn't as perfect as I remembered it being. And so once I got a chance to go back and lived there for a little while I remembered oh yeah <laughs> people are people and then I moved in and really embraced Mexico wow so what made your parents move to Mexico my parents had become Christians when I was about four years old and when I say Christians they weren't just not the type of Christian who just goes to church or you know just super religious or something but they became the type of people who said let's let's find out what Jesus says about caring for the poor and the sick and let's go do it. And so they moved down there to take care of the poor and disenfranchised on the outskirts of Mazawan. Wow. Wow. I know. Um, wow. That seemed like a big move for a kid to demonstrate <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, no plan, no pre- preparation for it. And then we uprooted ourselves. We did it for nine months was the plan. And then we ended up just staying there. My dad ended up being there with my mom. My dad ended up being there for 14 years. 
Wow. So I know that uh, there's an interesting story about your uh, parents um, or <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Could you tell that story? Yeah. So my dad was a drug dealer and my mom was a witch and they met while well, at a party and they were like consummate hippies. I mean, everything that you can imagine about, about being a hippie, they did. If you have a stereotype of what a hippie looked like in the 60s and 70s, that was them. They could be the poster children for that. So they met and then then they decided that after a while when they were starting to talk about family, they decided let's get rid of the drug dealing, the drug smuggling. And this is like pre-cartel, so it's more like mm-hmm. hippie friends, you know, versus violence and that kind of action. So they decided to have a family and they switched out of it and they became uh, legal drug smugglers. In other words, coffee. They started a coffee company. <laughs> and and then after a while, it was around there that my my dad and my mom both had these radical encounters, like supernatural encounters. And so they questioned everything they'd ever believed and became Christians. Wow. And you said your mom was a witch. I've heard that term before. What what does that mean? Yes, if you think about seances and and astral projection and reading people's auras, that's what she did. She dwelt in in the supernatural realm of spirits and talking and such. So she went from more of a new age wish witch to to become a quite quite dedicated Christian. So it's very, very different trajectories from one side to the other for both of them. Yeah, so I know like kids often struggle when their parents uh, go on a radical uh, change from, you know, especially when you talk about religion. Did that affect you in any way as a teenager or a young child? So my my parents did that when I was about four-ish. Okay. And so it did affect me, but in a very different way, in the sense that they became very conservative, I'm not talking politically, I assume maybe that was as well, but they became very, very conservative in terms of values. And so they, they really thought through the people they wanted around us and the activities that we were part of. Uh, and they really wanted to, to show us what love in action looks like. And that's when they saw the words of Jesus and the love of Jesus, like we got to do this. And so we did some AIDS ministry. We did some other ministry. So we got to see them do this radically good change instead of just going the route that we were going to go more about money. We went into this route more about serving and, and helping people, which definitely influenced me for years. And if there was a change that really affected and, affected me in my teenage years it was definitely the move to Mexico and you know you're struggling with who you are in in those teenage years and when you're you when you're obviously an outsider it's it's sometimes hard to feel like you belong and so that really affected me when I was in in high school years in high school so you were you bullied when I was in yeah when I was in what was the eighth or ninth grade I would walk up the stairs to my my school, and this is this is probably the most poignant one. There were some other stories as well, but 
I would walk upstairs and there would be a 12th grader, so three years older than me, who would cuss me out every single day. He would wait for me to arrive and then cuss me out. And just, you effing gringo, you effing don't belong here, you're effing stupid, da 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 And at one point in time, he instigated a fight with me and another guy. And then we went to the spot and anytime I got the upper hand, they would pull me away from the guy. So I got beat down by someone I could have could have beat if it hadn't been for this kind of gang mentality that was happening there. So that was definitely difficult. And you know, where you start wondering why people don't like you mm-hmm. and why it, it's hard for a kid, a teenager to really realize that there's other people who are going through hurtful situations too. Whatever happened to that guy I mean, it was not, it was not me. It was more of a him issue than a me issue. Yeah. So did that experience when you moved to Mexico, bullying was a part of it. And I'm sure some other things happened as well. And as you are growing and becoming to understand who you are, you know, uh, and discovering things about yourself, you in a different country and, you know, you're learning other things. Um, how, how did that, um, and what other ways did that move affect you? Well, it definitely put me into a whole, my sister and I've talked about this many different times. It, it definitely put us on a different track of life, different friends. You, you change the environment. It changes a lot. So one in, in the United States, I was in the whole speaking world already as a kid, I'd overcome a speech impediment and I had become quite proficient in speaking in front of people, which is one of the things I do now. And I had become um, someone who was always doing great at science fairs and poetry and spelling bees and all those kind of things. So I moved to Mexico and now I had to start over. And now I had to learn how to speak Spanish and now I was getting made fun of. So it set back my public speaking, but then it gave me a new challenge to overcome, which has helped me in coaching others. So that's one area. It's also during there, we got to see a larger perspective of the world. A lot of people, a lot of people are very narrow-minded because they haven't seen a lot. But when you've lived in a different culture and you've been a, a minority among that culture, and I was the only American kid in the entire school, when you've done these kind of experiences, it, it broadens your perspective and allows you to feel empathy towards people that you m- might not have. So so many ways it changed us. It got us a different friend group, changed my whole public speaking career in different ways, and it gave me a broader perspective. So what major thing or major obstacle that you had to overcome to become the Mike that you are now? So you were Mike when you were a child, a teenager, but the mic that people are experiencing right now, you had to overcome something. So what is that thing that you really, that major thing that really changed things for you? Insecurity was the major one. So as a kid, the insecurity was that people couldn't understand what I said. I couldn't say the letter J or the sound J. And I had to overcome that right there. And then go down to to Mexico and insecurity sets in again. And so that was the major challenge I had to overcome. How can you, how can you overcome when 
you don't know if you fit in, if you don't know if people are going to like you, if you are worried that you're going to get beat down just because you're different. I had to overcome that. And then even moving into back to the United States, I always felt like this outsider because of this experience I had. And it took me a long time to really not feel like an outsider and, and to embrace confidence. And so now who I am, what I teach, what I write on, what I, what I represent is learning how to get confident. And I think one of the reasons why people like working with me is because, because I have been there. I've been in that insecurity of not being able to be understood. I've been in the insecurity of being on stage and people laughing at you. I've been in the insecurity of, of failure and I've come over it. I've, I've been able to win on that front. And, and now I'm a confident person, confident speaker on stage and off stage, and I can show other people the way that is the major challenge that I overcome. So what are, how can someone overcome insecurities? Are there certain things they could begin doing to start that process? I always suggest it. And there's so much to this. It's a huge topic, of course. And, and I have books written on it. One huge, huge way of over coming insecurity is to really get to know yourself to really study yourself. I love it when people do personality profiles and I love it when people start journaling and start really thinking through it or talking to a counselor. What I find is that a lot of people don't actually like what they can't, they, they, what they don't like is actually not even themselves. They like an aspect of themselves or they, they don't know who to be on stage. They don't know who to be in front of others because they don't know who they are when they're by themselves. And so they're becoming a chameleon everywhere they go because they don't know themselves. So I'm all about defining who you are, labeling yourself so that others can't label you. And so if I've already decided that this is who I am and, I, and it's an honest assessment, so it's not like I am the most attractive person in the world, <laughs> like objectively. <laughs> uh, well, well, if I say I'm objectively the most attractive person in the whole world, and people are like, well, Mike, you're not. <laughs> at some point in time, at some point in time, I'm not right. So I'm not saying like a an inflated sense, but really defining who you are and thinking through it. That is a huge, huge asset for when you walk on stage. A lot of people are trying to be someone other than themselves when they walk on stage. I wrote about this in uh, my first book. I have five books that have been published. But one book, uh, the first one is called Speak With No Fear. And in it, one of the strategies to speak with no fear is you be you. I talk about how a lot of people, when they get in front of other people, they, they take on a persona. So say you got a podcast listeners who's listened to a hundred of your episodes, they start taking on Maurice and they start their own podcast and they think, oh, I should be like that. Or one of my clients, she was telling me that she really wanted to be like this sergeant she had when she was in the military. And I said, well, tell me all about him. And so she told me all about him. I said, well, tell me about you. She told me about her. And I said, how can you be like him when he is the complete opposite? But there's this desire for us to sometimes take on a different identity than the one that really fits us. So I encourage you to study yourself, know yourself. Yeah, be influenced by others and take their words as 
an assessment of who you are, but ultimately you're the only one who can create the most honest appraisal of who you are. I know some people, they have difficulties accepting the not so pleasant parts of themselves. They judge that part when they may not even fully understand it or how they got to that place. Have you found that? Yeah, I tell people when it comes to, and of course I'm not a counselor, but I tell people when it comes to just even their, their leadership and communication, that there should be parts that you like about yourself and parts that you just accept, you don't like, but you've made peace with, and then parts that you improve. Yeah. And so if you're looking at yourself, you you don't want all one or yeah, none of the other. You want, you want some level of appreciation. You don't want 100% appreciation because <laughs> then you're just a narcissist if you don't have ex- things that you accept and need to improve. But you want appreciation. If you don't have appreciation, you're just going to be you're going to be miserable. You want acceptance. These are things that here's a here's a fun story. Here's the fun way I say this. Let's think about my hair. So for years, I appreciated that I had long, blonde, luxurious hair. <laughs> now I accept that I'm going balding. I don't appreciate it, but I, <laughs> but I but I accept it. I don't. I'm not going to comb over it, I, and I can improve it by getting stronger so that my upper body so it looks good on my upper body and I can keep it short so that you can't see it thinning as much and someday shave it all off. So those are how we can appreciate, accept, and improve. I think if we do that again and again in all areas of our life, it's going to be very helpful. Yeah, it's good to recognize the the parts of us that we need to change as well. Um, if it's going to be harmful to other people, we know we need to change those parts. You yeah. you you mentioned uh, you're a big proponent of personality profiles. Do you yeah. uh, do you recommend any? So I I love Strengths Finder, I love the Disc Profile, Myers Briggs, and Enneagram are all ones that I've encouraged people to do. There's other ones I've done. I've done so many of these things over the course of time. I've done ones that even like take two hours to fill out. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it was for a job for a long time ago. But it's very interesting when you look at these, you read them and you, and you look at it and some of it's very general, but some of it can be quite specific. And the one that was most helpful to me is I did Strengths Finder years ago. And it told me a couple things. It told me that I was what that, that study calls an activator. Now, for a long time, I thought I was impatient. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that I just, I had a problem with patience and I just need to become more patient and need more, become more patient. But when I read that book, it actually pointed out that my impatience was actually a strength. It wasn't that I was necessarily impatient with things that you should be patient with, but it was that I always, I was prone to action. And I was ready to go do it. Like if you have a good idea, and it truly is a good idea, then don't wait. So I thought I was impulsive and impatient, but turns out it was a strength. And knowing that about myself and others knowing that, my wife knowing that is really good because I know how, what I'm naturally bent to do. Another great instance, and I talk about this in my book on, on emotional intelligence. I had this guy that I would work with and when we would get into a discussion, he would, he wouldn't really engage. He wouldn't really talk. And I would talk and I would verbally process and he wouldn't do anything. So I thought that he was actually just being disrespectful 
I thought that he, I didn't know what his problem was. I didn't know why he wasn't talking. So we did Myers-Briggs. And when we did it, I realized, oh, it's not that he's being disrespectful. It's not that he's being mean. It's that his manner in which he understands things by internalizing it. And if I give him time, he'll come back with a great answer. Mm-hmm. So it really saved our working relationship because I wanted answers then and there and he wasn't doing that. So then we met in the middle. We were like, oh, we get it. <laughs> You're like this and I'm like this. Okay, gotcha. Wow. It's good to have uh, understanding of different, you know, people in order to be able to effectively communicate with them and to work with them, it sounds like, because like at first you thought this person was being disrespectful, but it was just who they were. So if we, we, they have to also be accepting of who they are and that person could have looked at you and said, oh, well, I really need to give this answer now because Mike is like this and they could have been, not true to themselves and that wouldn't have been good for them. Yeah. You know, sometimes I I wrestle with, with the way that identity comes about and that I think at a young age, we need to be more intentional about it and really helping people develop their identity and knowing their identity. And sorry, it's taking a little bit off topic. I just started thinking about it when I started thinking about my son. Mm-hmm. And we're very intentional on helping him know who he is and understand himself and going back to even the things that we're letting him experiment with and, and seeing what, what pieces he internalizes and takes into himself. Is he a music lover? Let's see. Is that part of his identity? And often when we don't understand ourselves, we, we don't know how to interact with others. So I'm a huge proponent of, got to understand yourself know yourself study yourself in for speaking for leadership for anything for life for relationships and then you can start studying others and then in my book i call the framework me you us let me study me let me study you now we can relate together as us Mm -hmm. so from the inside out that's the yeah. way we live life. Because if we start uh, studying other people before we study ourselves, we're going to eventually run into the ditch. Because yeah. life is meant inside out. There is this uh, movie called Inside Out. I never saw it, but I heard it was uh, really good. Um, it was like a cartoon type thing, I believe. Yeah. Animated. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, Inside Out. So, so someone who's insecure, they can begin doing things to change that. What, how did your mindset shift when you were insecure and then you began building yourself up? And how can other people shift their mindset if they're in a place internally they don't really want to be and they know they could be much better? I changed the way I talked to myself. I went to this summer camp and... As part of it, everybody who went there met with a counselor for a half hour or however long it was. And in that session, I was talking about some of the stuff and really came out that she said, do you like yourself? I thought to myself, I thought, no, not really. But why didn't I like myself? I was a generally likable guy. 
And it was partly because of that bullying that happened. And so I internalized that. And so she, she gave me what I thought was ridiculous advice. She said, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror every day and tell yourself that you like yourself and that you love yourself. Mm. And I thought, well, that's so stupid. <laughs> this is the <laughs> stupidest thing ever. You know, here I am like this athlete guy and just, it just sounded like a whole bunch of woo. So I remember I got in front of the mirror the first time, like did it kind of jokingly, like, I like you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and, and yet I started doing it more often. And I started actually being serious about it. And then I started realizing that I needed to say those words to myself because it was helping my mind change. Because unbeknownst to me, things that were going on in my mind were repeats of some of the things that were said against me. Mm. You know, you're not good enough. Nobody likes you. You don't belong, et cetera. So I had this negative track going on in my mind and I needed to catch it, stop it, replace it. And so I started. And I wouldn't say it was just this easy, quick one too, but I, I got some new friends that really were part of this new circle. I leaned into, I mean, I had my parents, they were there the whole time. And I, I really embraced this new thought process, this new thinking. And that really, really helped me when I started talking to myself on purpose, not on accident. So when you begin to change your self-talk, you, you begin to change your image of yourself. Uh, did, did After that, you noticed some changes in your physical world with the people you interacted with and how they saw you? Yeah. One, I, I carried myself a little bit more confidently. And mm. two, I, so I, it changed the way that I perceived myself. And so it changed the way I acted. You know, if we, if we perceive ourselves as likable, we'll tend to put ourselves out there into situations where, where we can be likable. But another way that it did is instead of seeing myself as an outsider who didn't belong, I got more involved and made for more, more connections that really fit me and, and really branched out of where I was. And so that was a pretty cool thing to do when you think that sometimes if you feel like you're not likable or you have these deficits, you, you withhold yourself from, from company or you reserve yourself just to one company. But when you think yourself as valuable and when you like yourself and you accept yourself and appreciate yourself, then you can put yourself out there more. One of the things I work on with my clients is what does this look like in terms of communication? How can you improve your communication? Well, you can come to terms with who you are, what you sound like, improve yourself, believe in yourself, change your mindset about your communication, change your communication, and then you're going to communicate stronger with more confidence. And that's how it was when I was in high school. That change of the mindset allowed me to push myself out there more. Can anyone change their communication if they're unhappy with their communication style or if they're not getting the results they really want? Can they begin to change? Yes. Yes. In my book, I, I say, before you begin, believe. And I said, you have to read this book as a believer, not as a skeptic. Interesting thing. It's got like 600 reviews right now on Amazon. One guy said, uh, this is a whole bunch of hogwash. You, you know, this belief thing. Read, don't read as a skeptic. I'm like, exactly my point. If you read 
with a thought like I can't get better or this can't help me, you're right. I think it was Henry Ford said, or Mark Twain who yes. said, "What whether you believe you can or cannot, you are right." And yeah. so, yes, you can change, and you have to believe you can change. If you believe that you can't get better, then you can't get better. If you believe you can get better, you can. It will take work and intentionality. I tell people, like, there's no magic, no magic bullet for this. I can't shoot at you and make you instantly better in your communication. But there are things that you can do, just like with our bodies. We can get more fit. We can get, we can get more muscle, more toned if we do it. But you got to believe you can. And then you got to put the work in. Yeah, Henry Ford, like you said, think you can, think you can't. Either way, you're right. So we are. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, you, there has to be some belief because we're believing something anyway. Right. Oftentimes, it's a negative. If we're not receiving the results throughout our lives that you know we really want to, we have to check. We have to go within. We have to analyze and say, okay. Where am I going wrong here? Because it's easy to blame, blame the outside, outside circumstances. But when we begin to take a true look at ourselves and not blame ourselves, we don't, we don't have to blame, but we can identify and say, okay, this part needs to change. And we can begin making that mindset change. Um, so mindset, I, I, I believe, is really important. Um, because we can have a defeated mindset um, or we can choose to subjectively begin uh, putting words in our mouths and speaking words of, uh, that will uplift us um, like you did. You chose some words, you, the instructor, you took those words and you began to say it and begin to build yourself. Just like you said earlier, building muscle. We can build muscle. Not everyone will have the same muscles, but we can begin to become more than what we currently are. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can. And I think if, even if someone's just, just listening in and thinking, what's the one big takeaway? It is that. It is that. You've got to believe that you can. And I think this goes to a whole bunch of different areas where, whether it's physical fitness, whether it's education, whatever it is, you have to believe you can. Now, this is tempered. So just even going back to the appreciate, accept, improve, this is tempered. There has to be some level of reality within it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. at 40 years old, <laughs> can I become a Olympic gymnast? No, <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's just the flat answer right there. Can I become an NFL quarterback? No. So no matter how much I believe I can, and no matter how much I work at it, at 40 years old without having played a lot of football, that's just far outside. But when you talk about the things that you kind of become the best speaker in the world, well, there's no such thing because it's a preferential so I could become the best speaker to some people. Mm -hmm. So you got to think through the right belief, right? I can't believe I can fly and then I can fly unless I'm in an airplane or something. So I don't want people going out there going crazy with that. But 
to have a big, hairy, audacious goal to use kind of the good to great idea here for your life, for what you can achieve. Can you complete your doctorate? Yes, you can. Can you get out of debt? Yes, you can. Can you achieve a great relationship? Yes, you can. Can you, you know, can you marry the most beautiful person in the world? Yes, you can, just not by society's standards. The society standards change again and again. I always believe that your spouse should be the most beautiful person in the world to you, that the standard of beauty is your spouse, not someone else, but that's a whole different topic. <laughs> but th there is that whole idea. You got to believe that you can. And whether that's communication, leadership, or whatever. And then, then you got to put in the work. Yes, yes, definitely. Condition yourself. Because we have the ability to change our capacity, our internal capacity, our thoughts. We can become broader. Uh, our brains, uh, we have neuroplasticity that we can begin to change things if we believe it, you know, and if we, if we begin to practice every single day, because we're practicing something every single day anyway, usually it's just a negative thing for people who have not uh, come to the awareness of themselves and they're not getting the results that they really want to get. So we have to condition ourselves and practice good things after we implement things. So how, how can, what are some ways people can begin building self-confidence? So that first one was to study yourself. The other part is, is seemingly contradictory. And it, it's where you start realizing where it's not about you. One of the reasons why, so on one hand, we should take total responsibility for ourselves to, to understand ourselves, to know ourselves, to improve ourselves. On the other hand, we should stop thinking of ourselves when we're interacting with others. One of the things that makes us really nervous is when we're in front of others or we go into a room or wherever, we start thinking about what people are thinking about us. Some of the most confident people don't think about themselves. Okay, so think about yourselves on your own while you're making yourself better. But when you're, when you're in this whole relationship world or in environment, business groups, speaking to people, doing a podcast, whatever it might be, the world that you're around others, that's when you stop thinking about yourself. So right now I'm not thinking about myself. Now, I want to think about myself in other times when I'm accepting myself, appreciating myself, and improving myself, changing myself. But right now is not the time to be thinking about myself. Right now is not the time to be, be self-conscious about, oh my gosh, does Maurice think that I'm doing this or this or this? Or what is the audience? Do they like the sound of my voice? The mm -hmm. more you get caught in the, your mind about what will people think about me, the more insecure you will feel. I write this quote in my book that if you compare and compete, you'll live in defeat. So you're, if you're always pushing yourself, putting it against others, there's a healthy competition, but this comparison trap, that's an unhealthy way of living. So to be more confident is to get out of what people think about you and to you think about them. So my hope with going on to a podcast every time I do it is help me have some value today to give to someone else. It's actually a prayer pray. Help me have a value today that I can give to someone else. 
help me to help people today. And the more I think about how to help people, the more confident I feel. I'm not thinking about what people are thinking about. I tell it like this. Remember in eighth grade when you'd go to a high school or a middle school dance, Mm -hmm. all the boys would be on one side, all the girls would be on another. And no one's dancing with each other. And everybody's insecure. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they're insecure is thinking, what do people think about me? What do people think about me? What do people think about me? Do I look good? Is my dress good? Are my shoes good? Do my hair look good? Do my suit, does my suit look good? Do I look good? Will they like me? Do I smell? And so all the cons, the conscious thoughts are about yourself. Business professionals do this all the time. I'm going to do a Zoom pr- presentation. Will I do well? Will this make sense? Now, those questions should be done beforehand. But when you're in the moment, you should be thinking about, I'm going to help people. This is going to be good for them. I'm going to give them an update. This will be valuable. See, my friend and I learned in ninth grade that if we went to these dances and we thought about the girl and tried to make them feel good and tried to get out of our own mindset of what they might think about us, that we could have so much more fun because it wasn't about us. So how can you be more confident? Embrace a lifestyle where you don't make it about yourself, but you make it about serving the person you're with. Yeah, that's beautiful way to put it and explain it when you were talking about it i was thinking about the when we compare ourselves where it's not a good space to be in and we end up diminishing ourselves and fall into that insecurity and i was thinking about just natural things I, the bird the tree doesn't you know compare itself to the bird but they right. could coexist in enrich each other's lives by being themselves and we can be ourselves like you said when we're by ourselves that's the time to really work on ourselves but when we're interacting with other people uh, that's the downfall if we begin doing it that way because when we interact with other people and compare to compare ourselves to them um, that's a bad space to be in because we all have different gifts and different things that just naturally exude out of us. And because I don't have that thing, I could feel like, okay, well, I'm not as good as Mike because he has this, you know, um, but that's not true. We, we have to be the best version of ourselves and, and building that confidence and be, I guess being around people as well that, um, that supports that. But I believe also the people who come into our lives are people that we draw. We draw those people through our mindset and our inner conversation. Right. Right. We do. And, you know, it's, 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 there's a law of attraction. A lot of people have taken sometimes crazy extremes, you know, just, I'm rich. Money's going to fall from the sky. <laughs> but I think uh, at the same time, there's there's obviously a lot of reality from that. If you go through life expecting good things to happen, guess what you'll see? You'll see good things. Mm-hmm. And you also see bad things. But if you're if you're covering your life believing that that hard work produces good results, when you're hard work, you'll see the good results. If you think hard work is wasted, then all you'll see is the waste. And a hard work has both. There is a waste of hard work and there is incredible benefits. What, what lens are you putting on there? 
if you go through life thinking people like you and that people are generally good and that people like you, you're going to see a lot more of that. But if you go through life thinking people are against you, I mean, just the other day I had an interaction with somebody, not when I was working, but it was so crazy. This person, I was going to explore this kind of partnership deal. This person prejudged me, didn't decide they didn't like me before we met. Never met them, just prejudged me. So we're in this conversation and I just said to her at some point, I'm like, look, there's nothing I can say to to you to make you like me. You've already decided that you don't like me and don't want to partner with us. <laughs> so and it was so sad because the rest of the people did, but this pivotal person didn't didn't and I couldn't overcome the prejudging and nothing. So be very careful what lens you go through in life in. Go be very careful of what you think about other people and what you think about what life's gonna give to you. Yeah. We can only see I guess we can only see what we see. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh we have to be open in life to get experience life we really have to be open and have an open mindset it's unfortunate that that person already had that fixed in their mind and their heart already before even meeting you and won't change some people you know they can have that and then they can change um in the midst of it but some people could be really fixed on it so you you've written five books right so where can people find your books yeah, absolutely. So on Amazon or any of your favorite retailers, you can get Speak With No Fear, which is now in its second edition. The first edition has about 600 reviews. The second book I wrote is Write to Speak, about how to write a speech. I have Connect or Grow Your Soul. I have Connect Through Emotional Intelligence and Lead With No Fear, which I co-authored with somebody. So you can find those in on Amazon or any major retailer by searching for Mike Acker. It's like Acker like tracker, A-C-K-E-R. And how can people uh, receive your services if, you know, they're, they want some communication coaching? Right. So communication and leadership coaching or keynotes, you can find me at MikeAcker.com. So go to MikeAcker.com and you can find all of the different things that I do right there. What... So, Grow on. What valuable piece of information would you like to leave our audience with? Yeah, absolutely. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Where you are is not where you have to stay. I knew I was going to say that at the very end, even when I started with you today, Maurice. It's interesting thing is we ended up touching on this. Think about where you are. Write it down. Thank you for listening to The New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, The New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflornoy.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.